Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Hi, I'm here with Jay Suko who is an incredible improviser since 1992. If I read all of his credits, it would go on way too long. But suffice it to say that Jay is now in LA. Yeah. He started in Chicago and he trained with some people that you may have heard of, like Stephen Colbert, Steve Carell, John Favreau, Dave Rosowski, Michael Gelman, Keith Johnstone, Dick Schall, Del Close, Sharna, and McNapier. Mm-hmm. And you were part of the Second City Conservatory, and now you're on the faculty at the Second City Hollywood and MI's Westside Comedy Theater. Um, you've also played a lot of performances around the world. We'll talk about that. I'm so happy to have you here today. And let's start right in with, how did you get into improv? Oh, well, I am really excited to be with you. I'm a big fan of your podcast, as you know, so being on here is a thrill for me. Uh, My parents said, we are going to give you classes to take improv at Second City, and this was a Christmas present. And I said, great, I don't really know what that is, but it sounds fun, and so... I was actually finishing up my studies in college and I would drive up, my class was Saturdays noon to three outside of Chicago. And so I would drive up from the central part of the state about three hours uh, to take a class and then I would go back to school. And it became the highlight of my week. I could not wait to go to improv class and this was the last semester when I was supposed to be you know partying and and uh you know getting my full college experience and I couldn't wait to go to to a class where I got to make things up on the spot wow so you got bit right away that was my experience too as soon as I took a class it was like wow where has this been all my life what were you what were you studying in college Jay Well, I was going to school for um, economics and video production. And so I thought I was going to be a a videographer for a news station. That's what it was looking like. It was like I would go out and I would, you know, uh, shoot interviews and, and I would work, start off in a small town and work my way up. And then uh, they said, here's what you would expect to make. And I saw that and I was like, oh no, 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 no. That, I think it was about $9,000 a year back then. And I was like, and they said, you'd probably work third shift in Peoria or Rockford or a small town uh, and you would cover fires and local elections. And, and then I, I thought, well, I, I don't know if I want to do that because I like to be creative. And I remember I asked my, one of my teachers, can you make a living doing this? And she said, well, yeah, I am. I didn't know how hard it would be or how long it would take to actually be able to make a living doing it, but it 
like you, it, it took hold pretty quick. And part of, I think what I got into it for was it was a dead end job. So there wasn't as much pressure to do anything with it because it wasn't like it is today. So it became more of this like kind of hobby. And I thought, Oh, if I could, you know, make a couple bucks and just may, you know, survive somehow and perform and do improv. Well, I'd, I'd be really happy because, you know, there was no back then. I, I didn't see like whose lines did anyway, like that was happening, but it, you didn't have access to it. Once, uh, once it got on cable, yeah, you, everybody started to see it. But back then, the only improv I really saw was was either in class or if I went and watched one of the shows at Second City. And so I thought, oh, it's this really cool, hip, underground club, and we, we gather in basements, and, and we get a suggestion, <laughs> we just go. And it was this kind of like, hey, really cool nerd club. And I really liked that because I, I was an athlete. And so... The fact of being a part of a team, really, that stuck to me. It's like, oh, I just do my job, and then we flourish. So I really took to that pretty early on. So how were you supporting yourself while you were doing improv classes and maybe playing? But what were you doing to make the money to keep going? I think when I first started, like I, I had graduated, I moved back home, and I was answering telephones at a real estate office. And that allowed me to then perform and improvise. And to me back then, and you know, I was 21, 22, I didn't really care about a career of any sort. I just was really enjoying taking these classes and doing these shows. And, and so for me, it was whatever I would have to do in order to sustain like an apartment or, 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 you know, food or just the basic necessities. And so I remember I would wait tables or I worked at a call center. Uh, I would take these side gigs, anything I could do that would allow me to perform because it was like hanging out with my friends. And so you'd hang out with your friends, you get together and you would create the, and I was part of a short form group, uh, which did improv games, like whose lines it anyway. And then I was part of a, another troupe that did like more long form, which is you get one suggestion, you go for about 25 to, I think back then it was like 30, 40 minutes. It seemed to be a lot longer of shows. And so you could explore a lot more, but anything I could do to just get me to those times of rehearsal or performance, that's what I cared about. That's terrific. I, I wondered if you had restaurant experience because you made two really great films that we're going to have the links to. And one of them is the Troubadour. Yeah. Troubadour. It's about a restaurant. And I wondered if you drew on your own personal experiences in that. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. And thank you for that. Yeah, we, um, I wrote, uh, well, wrote is a loose term. We wrote a scripted storyline and it was based on the experiences of, of two of my friends who would come back and we were thinking about a new project we wanted to do. And we loved creating movies where we used a, a like a scripted storyline with improvised dialogue. We're like, we know all these great improvisers. Why not let them shine? And so they worked at restaurants in Chicago and they'd come back and they'd tell me these stories as we're trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And it was like, this is the movie. And so we strung these stories together and we put them into a film uh, and it's called Troubadour. And it's basically about these two guys who work in this, who own this restaurant and are trying to keep it afloat. And 
you know, for those of you who have worked in restaurants, you know, there's a lot of crazy things that happen. And it's a lot to do with like addiction. And it's a lot to do with like inappropriate actions and things you would never believe what happens behind the scenes. And so we took some of the best stories they would tell me. And I would tell them like, there's no way this is possible. And they're like, no, 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 this happens. And so we put it together to make kind of like a black comedy about what happens there and the experiences uh, being a part of a restaurant. And we wanted to make it so that restaurant folks who went and saw it would say, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Well, it is. I used to tend bar in Greenwich Village back in the 70s. And because uh, I couldn't carry heavy trays, but I could carry cocktails, you know. So it's yeah. a great job. And so much was true in that. I mean, I really identified with a lot of it. And I love the chef. I love the oh. chef. He was awesome. <laughs> and it's so funny because he is, the, in real life, he is the nicest guy in the world. I bet he is. And in the movie, he just plays, he plays just someone who is completely egotistical, arrogant. We think the whole kind of foodie craze was pretty funny how people take it so seriously. So he took a couple people he worked with and kind of put them together for his character. And then we would, we would record kind of what we had written and then we would throw it away and we'd say, okay, now let's just improvise. And we really got some of the best stuff in the movie from improvising within those character parameters. Once you have characters in a scene, you just let them go together. And it always, it always is something you can watch for a long time. So there's a, there's a lot of moments where it's just letting the characters be and showing them that the humor comes out of. It certainly does. And one of my favorite parts was when he was having a, a scene of intimacy and drinking out of the blender, I think. And later on, uh, the girl said, he just wants to have sex with himself. And it was <laughs> he just, he called, he wants her to call his name. Right. <laughs> and it's right. like, that's not that far from the truth. And the customers were perfect. And I, just the whole thing was just really lovely. So I hope our listeners our listeners, go and take a look at it. And the other film, of course, is American Legacy. Oh, and yeah. That is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. There's some, there's some singing scenes that were kind of funny. Um, but I, I got to tell you, I think my favorite character, for some reason, was Kathy. I really liked Kathy. Oh, you know, it's funny you mention her because that's Linda Orr. And I saw her, she lives in Chicago, but I saw her last week. She had just been visiting LA and popped into a show I was doing. And I had not seen her for a couple of years. And I went to introduce myself and she goes, yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness, how have you been? And so she was, what's funny is she was a last minute replacement. The actress we had dropped out like a day before so imagine the stress you're about ready to shoot this and an actress comes and says and, and it was because there was another gig that that paid her more so you can't be upset about that but at the same time you're like what are we going to do and and that that actress came in pretty uh well prepared very quickly and yes yeah, she was great the uh, director told her, and we didn't know this till the after, but he said, I want you to play the scene. All, all the scenes are like, you're just a little drunk. <laughs> and she she kind of either has a drink in her hand or she's acting like she's drunk. And there's a scene between her and I where we're in a car and we're, I'm trying to get out of a parking space and I'm just backing and going forward. And she's just, she's just being very sarcastic with me. And I think that might've been the first scene we shot 
together, her and I. And I knew after that scene, I was like, oh, she's perfect for this because she needed to get under my skin. And yeah. she was doing such a great job. So it turned out to be, you know, we talk in improv about mistakes or gifts. And it turned out to be more of a gift and a blessing that 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 other actors had to fall through because uh, Linda played it so beautifully. So it was really, it, it, you couldn't have asked for something better. Incredible. And the other characters were great as well, too. And the storyline was really funny. Mom left when I was six months old. No, seven months old. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to do any spoilers. I'm just throwing out random lines that I found were particularly funny. The father was great. The dad was really good. <laughs> so all of those in both Troubadour and American Legacy, those are all improvisers who we just wanted to work with. And yeah. when you ask him really good improvisers, you say you want to do this. Most of the time they, they don't hesitate. They say, absolutely. And they come to it and they bring such life to these characters and and in the restaurant film one of the we were having a read through and there was a um a guy who came and read because he goes I'll, I'll read like he didn't have a part in the film but he just wanted to be a part of the read through and he was so funny that we ended up writing a character for him and he was the guy gregory who talks about he's he's going to tweet the fight and he is just he's such a <laughs> rich character but you can take advantage of all these small opportunities that pop up and if you show up like there was another guy who was supposed to be just a pa on the set somebody who uh, uh they're an assistant he comes to the first day one of the actors we had drops out i throw him into it he's ready to go he becomes one of the chefs in the restaurant and one of the line cooks and that only comes from showing up and saying yes there are so many opportunities like that that happen. So I can't say enough of that. Um, the two bartenders in the restaurant film, the, the dialogue in the script was bartenders do bits. There's no written dialogue for them. It was just you two go and they were able to build beautifully. So you have these opportunities that present themselves and you can take advantage of it and, and turn it into something really cool. It, they're both really wonderful. You're working on any projects now? Uh, one of the bartenders moved to uh, Michigan. The other one I see fairly frequently. Uh, this year I'm getting back into doing more of these. I've been doing some little video uh, shorts in 2019, but 2020 is a time where we're going to take more. I think the focus is taking more of the improv you do on stage and then seeing if you could script it and then either write it into a, a live sketch or record it. Because I think as improvisers, it's really fun. We do things that kind of disappear, but I think we could take some of the things we do on stage. I mean, that's what Second City does, is they improvise, then re-improvise, and that's how it becomes sketches. So I think you could do the same thing, but then turn them into, into videos. Or I like what Rosowski does too, which is he used to do get two people together and then record an improvised scene, go about seven, eight minutes, and do an improv. He would do that with, uh, I know, Carrie Clifford. They would work together a lot on that. So I think there could be something like that, too, in the works. Cool. Well, I want to see more. And is yeah. there, is there a, a YouTube website where you have some things I want to say? I'm thinking about Worldwide Pants. I know it's not that, but um, uh, I can't think of it right now. Can you? Well, there's, like, there's like Funny or Die. They have a, a, a lot. They use a lot of improvisers in what they do. And they one that you're in. It's one that you're... I have one, I had one called Group Mind Films. Right, right, Group Mind and Films. We did, yeah, and that's, that's a lot of, uh, we would do a lot of 
shorts. My uh, producing partner is in North Carolina. So he moved to Charlotte, I believe, and I'm here in LA. And so, uh, but it's, it's time again, like, you know, LA is such a funny city because there are a lot of people who, want, who will do things, but not a lot of people that want to like produce it. So just takes one person to say, let's meet at this corner at this time. And then people will show up. So there's, there's too much talent. You know, when I moved out to LA about, uh, about four years ago, so many of my friends move from Chicago and then they get to LA and they're waiting on things to happen because you're waiting on an audition or to get an agent or a callback. And it's like, no, you could still be doing stuff while you're waiting. So it's just a matter of remembering, Oh yeah. When you were in Chicago, you did a lot more because you had to there. It wasn't, you know, we, we did those films. It wasn't a film town. So it's like, all right, we're just going to have to raise the money ourselves and find the locations. And what could, how can we shoot these films for nothing? I think we shot the first one for about 11,000 and the second one about the same amount. So we shot two features for about 20 grand. Wow. Yeah. And there were great shots of Chicago in it too. Oh, thank yeah. you. We wanted to make it a city. We wanted to make Chicago another character. Yeah, it does. Certainly. So you've done a lot of interesting things. You've given workshops all over the world and in corporate America, but there was one gig you had that I'm very interested in. And that was that you did something at Club Med International. Uh-huh. Was it at one of their resorts? Well, um, back in 1994, I believe, um, Club Med came to a group I was involved in. I was part of an ensemble. It's comedy sports. It's a, oh, yeah, of course, comedy sports. Yeah, it's the it's like Who's Line, but it's a comp it's a mock competition between two teams. Right. And I loved it. Like it was it it might be my favorite show to perform. It's so fun. Mm -hmm. And somebody came to to comedy sports and said, "Hey, we'll we'll give a free vacation if." you send some folks to come down and teach a workshop and do some shows. And so I was like, Oh, sign me up. So I went down for a week and I did, I had a basically a free vacation. I taught one workshop by the pool and then I did a couple of, of um, shows and it was super fun. Now, which fast. Club Med, which club? Med, I'm sorry. Which club med was it? So the first one I went to was in Mexico at a place called Huatuco, uh -huh. uh, which is in Oaxaca in Mexico. Now fast forward about six years, I'm looking online and I see Club Med advertising for a position called the Village Entertainer. And up until that point, you needed to speak at least uh, French and they would like you to speak Spanish as well as English. Uh, I'm American, I speak American, barely speak English. <laughs> Uh, and, and so, but they had said, basically they had laid it out to say without saying it, Hey, Americans apply. It basically was like, all you need to know is English. So it was their first training for this village entertainer up until that point. They kind of internally, you would be, let's say working in the bar. It's an all inclusive village. So you might be working in the bar and you say to your boss, Hey, I want to work in, uh, in the scuba shack next contract and they would have six month contracts or so. So then you might go there and they might say, I want to be the village entertainer. And then you would kind of learn that way. But this was the first time they, they looked outside for people to fulfill that position. And so I, they had been recruiting me. I send in my information. We talked back and forth. 
and they said, well, why don't you come to train for, uh, I think it was like two or three weeks. And if you like it, we'll, we'll get you into a, one of the villages because Club Med have, they have villages, resorts all over the world. They're like, well, we'll get you into a, one of the villages if it works out. I'm like, all right. They go, it's going to be in Turks and Caicos. And I go, great. Then I, then I go, I hung up the phone. I'm like, where's Turks and Caicos? So I, <laughs> and it's like near Miami. It's like an hour plane. Yeah, it's kind of near me. Yeah. 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 So I went, okay. Uh, and I went down there and I learned what that meant. And basically what it means is, hey, if you're interested, um, we're going to pay you and give you room and board to mess with people. You're going to be in character and you're going to be able to just mess with people. And I thought, oh, this is it. This wow. Is it. wow. So, so I would like, here's a couple things I did. One is uh, I was on a ladder outside the mess hall, basically. It's like adult summer camp right. club. Uh, and I would be on a ladder. I'd have a bucket and a paintbrush. And I'd look like I was working there. And I would have water in the in the bucket and I would flick water on people and then I'd pretend to be painting. They'd walk by and, and or I'd go into the mess hall with a drill and I'd walk over to some guy's plate and I'd drill his steak. Like, <laughs> I would mess, I put on headphones once and I walked in and just sang Pearl Jam as loud as I could. <laughs> uh, I dressed like a UPS guy and I had a box that I put glass in and I wrapped <laughs> and I would drop the box and fall into the pool. So I was like, I kind of just made a spectacle of myself and loved it. And so, I did the training and then they said, okay, do you want to go to the Bahamas? We have a village looking for, we need an entertainer in the Bahamas. So then I went to the Bahamas and then I, after the Bahamas, I went back to that club in Mexico in Huatuco and I got picked up at the airport from a guy who goes, I have a picture of you. I worked here six years ago. You came with comedy sports and taught workshops. And I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. So I ended up working for Club Med for about a year and wow. uh, got to work at a couple different villages and, and really enjoyed it. Um, and so that was, that was one of the few like kind of improv and it, it helped me develop characters too. And it helped me also develop a thick skin to not, you know, to not care. And that's the one thing as an improviser. So you got to play the prankster at different resorts too? Yeah. Villages? You, you would go to one and stay as long. Sometimes it would be for a couple months. Like usually the contracts were about six months. So it's like, oh, I'm going to go to, um, I'll be in France for six months uh, as ski instructor. Or it might be, I'm going to be here for six months. Or they might go, hey, we need you. I know you were here, but we need you to go to this other village because there's an opening there. So, but really you, you would have a set contract and every six months you would, you would look at it and then if you wanted to sign up again, you, you would sign up again. That's fantastic. Now in the Bahamas, I really love this. When you, was it at Paradise Island in the Bahamas? Yeah. Yep. Well, I've been there. I was back in the seventies. I was really into, yeah, seventies it was, uh, really into, you know, whole foods, uh, natural foods. I mean, not the store. And, um, <laughs> you know, vegan and juicing and yoga yeah. and meditating. And there was the Swami Bacha Donata, Sancha Donata had his ashram on Paradise Island right next to the Club Med. And so we'd all be sleeping on concrete and meditating oh. all day. And he was this fat little guy. He had a 
Quonset hut where you can see the TV antennas and the girls going <laughs> all the time. So I was with a couple of really fun people, other some other people from New Jersey too. And we knew Club Bed was right down there. So we walked down the beach, drop our out our bathing suits, <laughs> mingle and hope that somebody might give us a pina colada or something. <laughs> I'll never forget that. It was such a spiritual retreat. But that's really <laughs> that's really fun. I love it. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I mentioned uh, Michael Gelman, who I, I just love Michael. And I love his book, The Process. I, I just think it's a fantastic book on improv, really. And uh, he said about you that you were in, in, an innate improviser and a generally warm and good person. And oh, I thought that's really sweet, isn't it? Yeah. Amazing. I mean, he's, he was a teacher of mine. So to have him say that means a lot. Because if anybody knows, he knows about improvisers. Oh, boy. He sure does. Yeah. Did you, were you around when David Shepard was around? Or was he in Canada by the time you? I have, an interest, I have a very interesting David Shepard story. Oh. So I read The Compass. Uh-huh. And it mentioned him. And, and what people forget a lot about Shepard is that not only was he an integral part of Second City, but also he was one of the founders of I.O., the theater in Chicago. Right. It was called Improv Olympics, and it was supposed to be like a comedy sports. Like, it was going right. to be this, this competition. So I reached – somehow I, I found his number. I called him and reached out to him because I, I'm like – this guy's still alive. I want to talk to him. He ended up coming to Chicago. I'm not sure if he was coming or if he was, uh, you know, if he was visiting or for some reason he was there. And I said, Hey, come out to a comedy sports show. So David Shepard comes out to a comedy sports show. And then afterwards he and I are talking and this was back when comedy sports was downtown in like the loop in Chicago, which like the downtown area. Mm -hmm. Now on the weekends, a lot of times there isn't a ton to do because it kind of closes down. It's more alive during the week. So after the comedy sports show, I, here I am walking with David Shepard around Chicago trying to figure out what to do with this improv luminary because I didn't want to stop picking his brain. And he wanted to take improv and make it a living room, bringing neighborhoods together kind of thing. So you, neighborhoods would have improv teams. He wanted to make it accessible. He did want to make it accessible, and you know, he he started trying to bring it to the workers. Yeah, and, uh, they didn't quite bite onto it. But then you must know Michael Golding, who's his archivist, and um, I got to speak to David a few years ago, and uh, it was a very interesting conversation because it became so blue I can't use the recording. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He was quite the thing. I mean, really, what? that's a great story. I love that. I was going to um, ask you a couple other, some other quotes I have from you, but I know that you sometimes do messing with a friend with my, one of my favorite people is Susan Messing. Oh, yeah. Played her and uh, we actually, uh, her and I and Bill Cott, who is my improv duo partner for 25 years, the three of us did a messing with a friend show once in Chicago. And it was so wonderful so fun to play it was so great i bet i bet she's just i just love her to death i really do and i love jane morris to death too i think she's just so much fun oh my gosh so underappreciated jane morris is yes. such a, she's one of the co-founders of the second city etc theater in chicago and she's one of these just like underrated improvisers you watch and it's like how do you make it so effortless 
and she does that. She's great. Brilliant. So, um, uh, some quotes I got from some other interviews that I thought were interesting, and I, I want to talk about them a little bit. And one of them was when you said, I want to choose to play with people who give you love, people who support you. Yeah. Yeah, when you're starting off, you don't always have that. You know, you, you're in a class. And, and, but I also think, to be honest, teachers can do a better job fostering that situation and calling that stuff out and making it a safe place. And so I think it's incumbent on us as teachers, too, to recognize that and create that safe space. But um, once you go through your classes and your training, and you always should continue to take classes, but I think once you get to a point where you've, you've taken enough where you can now feel comfortable going out there, find those people that get you. Find those people that give you that love because that to me is the basis of this. It's like when I go to a show now, I'm, uh, I'm looking at the people I'm, I'm on that stage with. And either it's people I put together I want to play with or I'm a part of a group that I want to play with. So I look there and I'm like, I can't wait. And if you have that excitement of you can't wait to see what's going to happen with these people that you're on stage with and you know they have your back, then magic happens. But if you're in a situation where you, you don't want to be there or you're finding someone you just don't click with, it's okay. Find another situation. Like, don't get mad at them. Like, find your place and don't get jealous of what they're doing. You know, I would, I, I remember I, I would complain, oh, these people don't know how to improvise or, and this was, you know, years ago, I'd be like, oh, why can't they do this and that? And then I would have friends who are like, well, they don't have to. <laughs> they don't have to do that it that way. That's the way you do it. And I, I did it. I did a scene with the guy who was my managing, uh, my partner with the group Mind Films and I'll never forget it. We were improvising. We were in a Starbucks and I thought it'd be funny to be angry and sarcastic and, and our, the workshop teacher, a woman named Jean Villapique, stopped the scene and she goes, do you like each other off stage? And I'm like, yeah, we're best friends. She goes, okay, like each other on stage. And it changed everything from that day forward. I was like, that makes more sense because it's positive choices lead to more interesting situations. Absolutely. You don't have to get angry. No, we think we do. It's like, I've listened to you I do have. a couple of uh, scenes and I, and I love because you don't go to anger. Like even if people want to engage, you're like, yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, 2020 for me is the year of easy. What's easy. And to me, easy is just going, yep, absolutely. And then saying this situation isn't right for me. You'll be, I'll be fine. I'll have enough performing opportunities. I don't need to stay in this situation that I'm not happy. It, it always cracks me up before a show when improvisers go, got your back. Like that always cracks me up because I think it should be implied, but we do this thing of like, got your back. And then you get on stage and you see people deny and block and negate. <laughs> it's like, how has that got my back? You first see and you're like, I want a divorce. What? Okay. Here's what I do. Anytime somebody wants, anytime somebody goes, I want a divorce, I go, great. Uh, thank you. It's my fault. I've been emotionally distant. I've got my bags packed. See you later. Like, I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to. I don't want to negotiate with you to be in the scene. If you want me in the scene, cool. If you don't, that's okay. But I'll find enough people I want to play with who want to play with me. So I don't. But as a younger performer, you get very scared. And in smaller cities, sometimes too, you get scared because there's a limited what you see is a limited amount of opportunity. And so, yeah, you'll like, you'll stay in groups you shouldn't be in, or you'll, you'll uh, play with people that disrespect you or treat you poorly. So you don't have to do that. You're so right. So, um, 
I'm thinking about this quote from Susan Messing that um, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. And mm -hmm. once I heard that, I was able to leave a group that I was not having fun in at all. I didn't feel respected. I didn't feel appreciated. <coughs> and oh, no, woe is me. But I got out. And so then I discovered teaching, which I've been yes. doing for a while. And it's so fulfilling because I get to play with them. I play with everybody in my classes, you know, so. Um, I, I taught a level one yesterday. Uh-huh. And I do the warm-ups with them. I play with them. I laugh so much in those situations. Like, uh, I, I agree. You, find, you can play anywhere. I've got two kids. I play with them all the time. They're all, kids are all about play. They're all about yeah. the moment. And, like, we forget improv games that we work on now. And you know this. It's Viola Spolin and Neva Boyd. And, and Neva Boyd was talking about the importance of play in adults. That was her thing. And then Viola was her student. And that's why we have any of the improv we have now, any of the second, you know, Viola's, you know this, Viola's son is Paul Sills. And of that flows all this improv. So whether you're a UCB or IO, long form, short form, none of that matters. It's all the sense of play and joy in play. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love to play. Speaking of which, we were both uh, included in Morgan Phillips' uh, A Thousand yeah. Scenes that he did on YouTube. And so I wondered, Master, if we could maybe <laughs> do a short scene, which I would love to, you know, part of the reason I started this podcast was to learn from other improvisers because I don't have any classes here in Naples, Florida. There's nothing for me to go to. I have to go out of town out of state and so the idea was to learn from other people and uh, it's been really fun i don't always play with people we don't have to but if you want to do something short and you know and call you asked me to improvise with you yes for yes. sure okay and then you can call scene whenever you think it's time to call scene unless <laughs> i decide to call scene <laughs> that's great I, i'll be honest i probably won't call scene so i'll let you do it because i'll do it forever okay <laughs> okay I know, right? It's on the tip of your tongue. I've been thinking about it. Uh-huh. Don't rush it. I mean, whenever you want to tell me, that's fine, but I'm excited. Oh, I'm so glad you're excited because I think you'll be really excited. I, I know I'm excited, but I don't want to jinx it by saying too much yet. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I could see that would be, that would make you so anxious to jinx it. So yeah, don't jinx it. You just sit here. I'm being mindful right now. I'm really getting into my body and soul and my spirit now. And I'm just looking into your eyes and seeing you're with me. Yeah, you know, that retreat did wonders for you. You've, you've come back changed. You are very present. It was fantastic. The leader was so wonderful. But we all led in our own way. Yeah. You're leading right now. By not saying anything, you're leading this conversation. I'm glad you see that. It's important for us. Yeah. That you see that right now. Yeah. I didn't see it until right now. Like right now, like I see it right now. I see it. It's very important. Your eyes just lit up. Yeah, yeah. I see that. Yeah, don't tell me. Don't tell me. It's right there. It's right there. Nope. 
You look sad. A little sad. Okay. You'll understand when I'm able to really tell you, which is coming up. So I can feel it's bubbling yeah. up inside. It's right there. I can feel it too. It's right there. Right there. But yeah, don't, I mean, don't force it. That to me, I think would make you more sad if you forced it. And I'm, I'm sad, but I'm also joyous, you know? I'm, I'm not bipolar. I know people thought that about me, but I'm definitely not bipolar. I can be sad and then really happy. Well, you're somebody who you can label and recognize what your emotions are. You've always been that way, ever since we, we were kids. I don't think you're bipolar. I mean, unless you are bipolar. And if you are bipolar, I don't, that doesn't really matter. Unless it matters to you. Oh, no, I don't like labels anyway. And you've always been so accepting of me, you know, and you always stuck up for me when they, when they call me, you know, when mom would say she's acting crazy again. John, do something with her. I'd say, Mom, there's no crazy. She's acting like a human being. She's showing her emotions, which I wish you could have, Mom. Yeah. She was pretty shut down. I mean, I guess that's where I get it from. Well, yeah. I, I wasn't going to comment on you because we've been focusing on me, but it's about you as well right now. Yeah. You're calm. I'm, I'm calm. Is there a possibility that when I'm sharing my feelings that you're starting to get more in touch with your own feelings? Oh, 100%. You're allowing me the safety. That's what it is. It's safety. Yeah. You look really nice and calm right now. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh and you look happy. I am really happy because... I know you're going to say yes. Okay. Yeah. Because we're, we accept each other as we are. We've known each other all our lives, you know? And, yeah. And you're right. The retreat did change me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you, you are more, I mean, you're owning your emotions, which it's hard for anybody to do. And, and I love you. I just I love you. I know, I love you so much. You could say it if you want. Okay. After I went, said that. What, what? As soon as I said that, you, you seemed withdrawn. So pretend I didn't say that. Pretend I didn't say that. It's there okay. if you want to. I shouldn't be telling you what to do. That's why I do that too. I'm, I'm trying not to tell you what to do. Okay, because you used to do that a lot. Tell me what to do. I mean, not that I have a resentment about it because I've worked through it. I've been in enough therapy to work through it, that's for sure. So now it's just a, a peaceful, loving bond between us that nothing can tear apart. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I thought, you know, becoming a funeral director would have been just your thing. And so I, I feel bad I steered you in that direction. But uh, I, I want to say sorry. You don't have to say sorry. I dig it. It's real quiet. <laughs> I get, you know, I'm good with makeup. I always love doing the makeup and I, I love the sound of people crying. It's wonderful. But, you know, I, I hope I didn't push you into your line of work. Well, I mean, I, I felt like I had to do something. Yeah. So I felt like it, well, was, it was fair. So you're happy with being a priest right now? Yeah. I mean... I get a lot of fulfillment from helping people and, you know, I'm, I feel closer to the Lord. That's for sure. That's great. 
and do a great oh, job. Do really? Oh, yeah. Your parishioners, when they're, you know, you do refer, we refer back and forth a lot, I guess you could say, but no, no kickbacks. <laughs> but, no, kick, no kickbacks. No. But when you're, you know, your you're, uh, parishioners come in, they say, Father John, what a guy, changed my life. Yeah. I mean, I think that's our goal in this world is to affect people and change. And I guess I change them during and you kind of help change them after. <laughs> yeah, I change, change them a little bit, sometimes a lot of it. You know, we, we sometimes get messy cases in here. I know. I know. I want to see it. I want to, I want to come in one day. I want to come in and see it. You can come anytime, anytime at all. Oh, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought there would be some sort of like HIPAA law or violation for me coming in. You can come down the cellar and see what we do with the formaldehyde and the makeup and the draining. And it's pretty cool stuff. You know, people can look really, they look better than they did in life. That's one of my things. I mean, that's a huge thing, though. Think about it. You help people look better than they did in life. I mean, when people leave and you have your loved ones there, you want a good representation. And you do that. I mean, it's underappreciated. It really is. And, you know, I've got a wicked costume department. And so when they don't have, you know, really nice things, their family brings in these rags, you know, I put them in like all kinds of, you know, taffeta and crinoline and silk. And sometimes on guys, I'll put a little mustache. I think it gives them more flair. <laughs> and, you know, I, I know not a lot of people know this, but I know you do some of this for free. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to tell you about. It's, uh -huh. I think it's really good news too. So, you know, because mom and dad left you everything um, for some reason, and because you've chosen this path of asceticism, um, giving up of worldly goods, I, uh, I think it's time that I get the inheritance money because I want to expand. I want to have a franchise. I want to have a drive-in, a drive-in where people can go and, you in their cars, you know. That's like the 50s. Event. Pardon? Like the 50s. Like the 50s, yeah, exactly, yeah. So I, I think, you know, by you giving me the 1.5 mil, it would be, a, I take a burden off of you, I'd be helping you. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been doing a lot of thinking and I don't think what they did was fair and I certainly don't need the money. And so I think you should have it. Yay! <laughs> oh my God, that was so much fun. Yeah, wasn't that fun? Oh my gosh, you're so easy to play with. It was wonderful. Oh, thank you. You too. I, that's going to go on for a long time. It did go on for kind of a long time. No, no it could go on for a longer time. A long time, yeah. Yeah. So you know what I'm thinking? I was thinking, I'm dying. That's why I'm talking to you. I'm dying? Is I'm, my, my character's dying. And so that's why also I'm giving you the money. <laughs> like, and initially I thought the thing I was talking about because we hadn't established our siblings yet. I was thinking about giving you, we were getting a dog. Mm. 
<laughs> That's the wonder. Isn't this great? It's like, it could be anything. And it takes, you know, I think what you do is as you continue to, to play and get experience, you just are more adaptable. And so that was great to have that idea of a dog. And then if it come, if it came out, we'd go with that. Right. Yeah. Right. That was really fun. It was. Thank you so much. Yeah. We got to do that on stage. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah, right? Film as well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and in town, just call me. Yeah, <laughs> so sure. Lovely people in California, especially in Hollywood, all those great friends and beautiful people you're working with. So I, I felt so, this is the thing, I felt so supported by you. Oh, good. I felt really supported by you. And because we were able to see each other, we had the facial expressions we could work with as well. It was really fun. Oh my gosh. So I, I, still, I, I still, a lot of that stuff, you know, like the, the whole Machowski teaches this, Jeff Machowski and Jane Morris teach about like just calling out how you see the other person. You're like, oh, you look this, just calling it out and then you have something to do with. So that's, that's definitely something I learned from them. Yeah, absolutely. Harkens back to, um, what's his name? Well, Meisner. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, well, what a great, chat tonight i'm i really want to do this again i felt All like right. i had a great lesson in improv and i'm so admiring of the work that you do it's just beautiful what you're doing oh thank you and you too and i will do it anytime yeah this was like so fun and i think you're doing like with everything you're doing for therapists and therapy like the you see the power of improv has in it and you're one of the leading like advocates too like uh, and bringing all this information to people that sometimes they won't reach out to you, but know that it's helping people. So it's wonderful. It's a great resource. Thank you. It is a great, and it's been giving me so much pleasure because actually I've been in touch with people in India now in different parts. Really? Of the world. Yep. We're working with special needs population or kids with autism and, um, and there's some great people in this country doing the work and all over the world. So, um, but you are just, it, I tell you what, Gelman was right about you. <laughs> so, and I'll take you up on that too, okay, Jay? For sure. Are you going to be traveling anywhere soon or doing any sort of like teaching anywhere? Um, I'm teaching at a social work conference in Atlantic City in the spring. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> I know. It's really cool. I'm excited about that. But I'm not traveling out of, you know, any further west, although I'd love to. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So there's so many people I like to study with out there. So well, we'll have to figure a way to make that work. Yeah, let's figure that out. Oh, okay. Margo, oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm really honored to be on it. I've been a, a fan, like I said, for a while. So uh, having a chance also to play with you is, is super fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for taking care of me. Okay. And we'll see you real soon. Thanks again, Jay. Yeah. Thanks. I love Bye. you. You're wonderful. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.